to me, and and my parents uh, didn't uh, let me go to uh, the the funeral, his funeral. I I stayed with uh, a babysitter that day, but I do remember the first service I attended. It was my junior high Sunday school teacher. Um, I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, and uh, he had been my junior high teacher for the two years previously. And uh, and it was a it was a double service. Him and his wife were killed in a head-on collision uh, by a drunk driver. Uh, their their little boy was thrown from the from the car, and he survived, but uh, they passed away. And um, it, it had a profound impact on me. I, I remember it like yesterday, going to the service. I got there um, <clears throat> really close to when the service started, and the only seats available were up in the front row. So I had to go up in the front row and sit, and I remember the family was on my left-hand side behind a, behind a curtain. Um, it, was a, it was a foggy day in Fresno, and... Uh, Les was a fireman, and so there were lots of firemen uh, in this in this service and in this ceremony, the procession following the the funeral. Uh, it was a horse-drawn carriage that contained the that contained both caskets. I remember walking with the procession into the cemetery, foggy. It's something that you would see out of a movie, but. Um, but it was a very sad, sad experience. And that was my my first service, and uh, I've been to lots of services since then, just like you. And and um, since being pastor here, I've officiated a lot of services. I've officiated a lot of your loved ones' uh, services. And uh, as we look at Jesus's life. Um, Jesus never officiated a, a funeral. He always broke up funerals. And uh, none of us have ever been to a funeral like this. And uh, what Jesus does in this passage of Scripture is really one of uh, three, what we call resuscitations or revivifications. It's a resurrection, but it's a resurrection unto life where the person's going to die again, eventually. But uh, we see uh, Jesus doing this to Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, and uh, with Lazarus in, in the book of John. And, um, and there's some other resurrections in the Old Testament as well, but uh, let's look at uh, verses 11 through 17 this morning, and this this service and uh, what it might mean for us today. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold. A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her 
and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up to, to came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding countries. I want to share with you some observations of a, of a hopeless situation. At least it was a hopeless situation in the eyes of the widow um, who had just lost her son. There's four things or five things I want to share with you this morning that uh, I believe apply to all of us here in this, in this place this morning. The first observation is this. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. The widow did not see Jesus. Jesus saw the widow. Now, last week, Jeff uh, shared with us this, the, the story of the centurion who had great faith, and he called out to Jesus by faith. In this passage of Scripture, this widow, she is not looking for Jesus. She's not crying out in, 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 in faith. She finds herself in a hopeless situation. As Jesus is watching her, as Jesus sees her, he sees that um, she's alone. She doesn't have a husband. He knows that she's a widow. There's lots of people around here, her, but there's no other family. She has lost her only son. Jesus sees and knows all of this. And the Bible says that he has compassion on her. That's Jesus. My friend, if, if you're in a hopeless situation right now, just know that Jesus sees you. He knows what you're going through. She didn't share any of the details with Jesus, but Jesus knows Jesus knew her situation. Jesus knows your situation. Jesus has compassion. Look at Psalm 34, verse 18. The Bible says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This woman is crushed in spirit. This is why Jesus came to the earth to minister to show and share his love and his grace. It takes us back to Luke chapter 4 and Jesus' mission in coming. He came for the poor to share the good news. He came uh, to set the captive free. He came to give sight to the blind. And he came to minister grace to the oppressed. This is Jesus. Jesus is there. Jesus sees. It reminds me of a, of a date, a debate that was taking place between an atheist and a, and a, a Christian. And it was in a university and the atheist went first and uh, 
he said a whole lot of things and he summarized um, all those statements by writing on the board uh, this statement. God is nowhere. And then the Christian popped up. And he looked at that statement on the on the board. God is nowhere. And the Christian said, you know, that's one statement that I can agree with. With just a little bit of correction. And he went up to the board and he corrected that. He, he made a little adjustment. And he wrote, wrote, God is now here. That's Jesus. Jesus is here in this situation. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that Luke has recorded it in Scripture for us to read, to study. And just as he was there for the widow, my friend, he is there for you. He is a God who sees. He is a God who knows all. And as he sees, the Bible says he has great compassion. I mean, he's feeling this from his gut. He knows what this, this, this mother is going through. This isn't her first rodeo. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. This is, this is her future. Her son would be her future inheritance. I mean, he would be her social security. And now she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a son who will take care of her. She is destined to a future of marginalization. She's going to be on the fringe. And Jesus sees all this. And he comes up to her and he says, don't cry. Don't cry. Now that statement isn't uh, an uncaring statement. He's not saying, come on, buck up, you know, build a bridge, get over it. No. He says, don't cry. It's going to be okay. It's like a parent consoling a child. And that parent tells that child, that's all right, I'm here. It's going to be okay. That's Jesus in this passage of Scripture. And he's going to bring a comfort to this mother that is far beyond her imagination. She's going to get her son back. But Jesus is a comforter. He is our great high priest. And I share this verse often, but this verse is so true. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, the writer says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to, to help in time of need. Jesus was and continues to be moved by the hurts and sorrows of people. Last week, we saw the centurion taking the initiative with faith. This week, we see Jesus taking the initiative. He sees and he intervenes. He has great compassion. Church, we serve a God and Savior who is alive. 
and who is there, who is now here. And if you find yourself this morning discouraged, as if you're in a hopeless situation, you're not alone. Jesus is taking the initiative. Jesus sees. Jesus has compassion. Jesus is your great high priest. Go to him in confidence to find the grace and the help that you need in your time of need. That's Jesus. The second observation from this text this morning is that Jesus displays his authority over the darkest moments. He displayed his authority over the darkest moment. I don't know about you, but I I can't think of a bleaker situation. She has lost her son. No mother wants to outlive their child. And I have conducted several services in our church where parents have outlived their children. I can't even imagine their pain. And here this mother is in a hopeless situation, a very bleak, dark moment. And it's in that very instant that Jesus speaks authority. He has all authority. I like the posting someone put on Facebook the other day about storms. Said this, don't tell the storm how big your problem is. Tell Tell the storm how big your God is. Jesus is far bigger than any storm you and I could ever imagine. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Because in our church, in our ministry, we find ourselves in a storm at the moment. But I want you to know that Jesus is bigger than our storm. Our storm happens to be uh, the financial situation at Emmanuel Christian School. Um, you know, this isn't my first rodeo when it comes to the financial struggles with the school. Since being pastor here, this is probably the third roller coaster I've been on regarding Emanuel Christian School. But uh, we have some challenges this year, and the and the school board has has made decisions to try to try to make some corrections. But we just keep finding ourselves in another storm. And um, I believe Jesus is a God of miracles. And church, I believe with all my heart that he wants this church, us, to participate in the miracle that, that he's about to perform. Um, you're going to get a letter from me this week uh, regarding uh, some things that we can address. But uh, I want to just mention to you up front that um, this year... Um, we always do an, an Annie Armstrong Easter offering. I'm Southern Baptist. I'm Southern Fried Baptist. 
I've been in a Southern Baptist church since I was 12 years old. We've always had an Annie Armstrong Easter offering. But this year, we need to set that offering aside, and we need to have an Emmanuel Christian School Easter offering. Um, we just need to stop the bleeding, church. And, uh, and so I'm going to be asking us, challenging us to give generously, to give sacrificially this year so that um, God can do a miracle. You know, what's, what's, what's happening in our church right now and what's keeping us afloat and the school afloat is that as a church, we have a, we have a positive cash flow. And I am thankful for that. And, I, and I'm trusting that as you can faithfully continue to give to the budget, that the conclusion of this year, this fiscal year, we can take a significant amount of what we'll have in reserves and pay off that debt. This situation isn't beyond a miracle of God. But I just want you to know, need you to know what's happening with the school. And after church this morning, after the second service, if you want to stick around for an informal meeting, and I might be able to answer questions that you might have, um, following the second service in the chapel here, um, we'll, we'll get together and talk. And we'll talk more about this at our business meeting on March the 10th. But um, I just want you to know God's in control. What might look bleak to the school and to us as a church isn't bleak to God. And Jesus in this passage of Scripture is speaking His authority in the darkest moment a person can go through. That's our God. There's despondency. There's hopelessness. There's uncontrollable grief. And Jesus stops the procession. The Bible says he touches the beer. Now, that's not an alcoholic beverage, all right? The beer is was the stand. It was the platform for which the body or the coffin was, was lying upon. Jesus stops the procession. He touches the beer and he speaks. And he speaks... He doesn't speak to the widow. He doesn't speak to the pallbearers. He speaks to the dead man as if he is alive. And with all authority, he says, young man, I say to you, rise. What is Jesus revealing to us here, church? He is Lord of both the living and the dead. Jesus died and rose again that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Romans chapter 14, verse 9. So my question to you is, are you staring at a black hole? Do you need a miracle? Trust Jesus. Stop trying to be your own Savior, and trust Jesus. That's the gospel. Jesus does what we can't.
And stop, so stop fighting God and stop believing, start believing God for what he wants to do. The third observation from this text has to do with the gospel. This, this picture, this text is a picture of salvation. Jesus alone saves. There's nothing that we do that we can save ourselves. It's Jesus alone that saves. This young man was dead. He could not save himself. And Jesus spoke life into this man's soul. And that's what Jesus has done for every one of us to bring us to the point of salvation. The Bible says that Jesus touched the beer. When Jesus touched the beer, the procession stopped. They gasped. They saw him touch, touch what was unclean. Why did he touch the beer? He touched the beer as a symbol of the defilement that he was going to take upon himself. See, when you read Old Testament, um, ceremonial law um, prevented Jews from touching anything having associated with death. Why? Because uh, death was a, a curse. This, it was a, a, a curse as a result of sin. And if you were to... Uh, touch what was was cursed, you wouldn't be able to come into the the temple, the tabernacle. You wouldn't be able to come into the presence of God until you rectified that that defilement. And as Jesus touches the beer, what he's saying is, you know what? In order for this young man to have life, I myself will become defiled. I will put your defilement upon myself. I will place the curse upon myself so that you might have life. It's a picture of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. And this just isn't a New Testament example, my friend. The picture of salvation is through the entire Bible. God alone saves. This is the gospel of God, as Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1. God saves. There was nothing that this young man could do to save himself. He was dead. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Paul says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see any righteousness there? You see any good works? Not at all. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then two of the sweetest words in all the Bible, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus that took the initiative for our salvation. We weren't looking for him. The Bible says Jesus saw us, and when we were at our absolute worst, the Bible says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, saved us. That's our Jesus. We don't deserve salvation. It's only by his grace. This is the story of the Bible. And our salvation is illustrated through this text this morning. The fourth observation. Jesus conquers and will conquer even death. Jesus gave back this widow's son. Now, some of you are here this morning and and you're thinking of your own situation. The funeral, funeral service that you attended and you're saying, Pastor, Jesus didn't give me my son back. Jesus didn't stop my, my child's pallbearers or my husband's pallbearers. I just want you to understand, and Jesus wants us to know this morning, that the best is yet to come. Understand that this this resurrection was just a symbol of the real resurrection that's yet to come. This was a resurrection, uh, a revivification from death to life, but this young man was, was raised into pain and suffering. He was going to die again. In every other one of the resurrections other than Jesus' in the Bible, they're all raised to a life of pain and suffering and dying again. Yes, it was a temporary gift to the mother. But understand, there is going to be a resurrection that is going to conquer death for all eternity. And it is going to be life eternal that they are going to be raised unto, unto. And so just understand that Jesus conquers death. He conquered death in this passage of Scripture. And at the end of time, he's going to conquer death for all eternity. And if your loved one has passed away and knew Jesus Christ, just understand that he or she lives life more than they ever have before. They are experiencing eternal life. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Look at Jesus' words in John 6, 40. He says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
The true resurrection is yet to come. And as, a, as Christians, we need to continuously encourage each other with these words. Those who have died in Christ are in the presence of God this very moment. And one day, they are going to be coming back with Jesus to receive us to himself. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you have verses 16 through 18, but I want to start with verse uh, 13. Paul says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Who's he going to bring? Those who have died in Christ. They're coming back with Jesus. Their spirit is coming back with Jesus. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The loved ones who have gone before you are alive. They're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are coming back with him one day and all of God's people are going to be gathered in the cloud with for a sweet reunion with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ encourage one another with these words your loved one is not going to miss a thing Jesus conquered death here and he will conquer death for all eternity. He has authority over the living and the dead. And then the final observation. He who overcomes death deserves our worship. The Bible says in this passage of scripture here verse um, verses 16 and 17 after the young man got up and spoke and Jesus gave them to his mother verse 16 fear seized them all and they glorified God saying a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people And this report about him spread through a whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. They saw Jesus as a prophet. This story or this this situation, this incident reminded them of Elisha 
uh, raising the uh, the widow's son at Zarephath in First First Kings chapter seventeen. Oh, he's the prophet. Elijah, and so they start worshiping God because of what this prophet has done. But I want you to know this morning, friend, that Jesus is far more than a prophet. He's the God of the universe. And it's Jesus that we are to worship. And he is worthy of our worship and worship and, and service are, are the same word. We're going to get into that next week. But we are to worship Jesus. Why? Because he is Lord of both the living and the dead. He has all authority. He has the ability to speak in the bleakest, darkest moments of our life and infuse life into that situation. He is a miracle-working God. He's worthy of our worship. There was a, uh, a Muslim from Africa who came to the United States and he became a Christian. And uh, people back home were asking, um, why did you become a Christian? And he gave this little illustration. He said, suppose you come to a fork in the road and you come and you come up to two, two people. One's dead and one's alive. Whose advice are you going to follow as to which fork to take? Church, Jesus is alive. Muhammad is dead. Every other religious leader who's ever lived on the planet of this earth is dead. Their tomb is occupied. There's only one person, Jesus, who's conquered death who is alive, who sees, who sees your hopeless situation, who wants to speak authority, do a miracle in your situation, who wants to give you hope. My friend, believe. Trust God. Don't attempt to be your own savior. You can't rescue yourself. Jesus alone saves. Let's pray. Let's pray and let's worship. What's your dark hole this morning, friend? What is it that you just can't see beyond? Like the widow. She was despondent. She had lost everything. She had no future. But to Jesus, this was an opportunity to show her who he is. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you.
Would you let him? Jesus, thank you for how you see, how you have compassion, and how you have authority over all things. I pray that you would help people here in this service, in the video venue, Lord, to trust you, to turn to you, and to worship you. Thank you that you're alive and that you care and that you're here. We love you. We praise you. Would you all stand and let's worship. Worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus, this morning.